Hello, everyone, and welcome to Best Thoughts. I'm Will Johns, here with my brother, Rick Johns. Hey, everyone. It's good to be with you. We're having a lot of fun doing this podcast, and this is our fourth episode, and we're so happy to have gotten some feedback from some of you about the first three, and we're glad that some of you are finding it enjoyable, and we want to continue to present our best thoughts that we've come across. Not, I shouldn't say our best thoughts, should I, Will? I guess we're sharing some of the thoughts that we have discovered, and those are what make them good. And then we kind of put in our own stuff, which may make it more interesting or may just lead you completely astray. I mean, we're not, we're not going <laughs> to pretend to have all the answers. <laughs> yes, we're, we're sharing from the book, The Gifts of Imperfection uh, by Brene Brown. And this book is full of best thoughts. Mm. And, and like Rick said, we're doing our best to, to pass those on to you. Uh, I don't know, Rick, that there's an original thought out there. So to claim that's true that uh, that these thoughts are our thoughts, uh, yeah. it's probably a little bit of a stretch, for sure. But it is our it is our lives, and we do enjoy sharing what we've been through, what we've learned. And this week we're talking about cultivating a resilient spirit. And when I was reading this chapter, I I hate to say the same thing every week, but wow, like so much in here. I just, hats off uh, to Brene Brown again, just for her work and condensing it and being so concise and just, it's just loaded. There were so many thoughts, Will, I'm not even sure, you know, that we can cover everything that she talks about, but we'll definitely try to hit the meat of it. And I have just learned so much about resiliency and the power of understanding this concept. Yeah. And it, it's so relevant to, to where probably most of us are at right now in our lives. We have we've been forced to figure out resiliency mm. um, with what we've gone through in the last year. And uh, before we dive in, um, I just want to pass on a comment to you, uh, Rick, by, by one of our listeners, um, mm. who happens to be my wife, uh, who <laughs> recently listened to our podcast. And uh, she said to me as, as we were listening through, why is there these weird special effects happening every so often? <laughs> <laughs> and and for those of you who don't know, um, Rick is the one who does the the audio editing of of our podcast, and, and so Man. I am uh, I I brought that up uh, yeah. to give him a hard time about his special effects. Well, so. you know, there's always haters out there, so I. <laughs> You can't let them get them down. I'm feeling very resilient today, so I will continue and carry on, and I will put more special effects. 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 I'll probably make that echo later. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. Well, and 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 I I was thinking, you know, it would be good if you just threw a weird one in every episode. And, and our listeners will never know when it's coming or why it was placed where well, it was. <laughs> now they'll know why it's placed for my sister-in-law, Lori, who is a lovely person. And I think she wants more special effects. 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 <laughs> anyway, just having some fun here at the beginning. But I want to I wanna say as we get into this topic of resilience, a, a, a very 
short definition of the word resilience is simply the ability to keep going even when life is difficult. And, and by that definition, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brag on, on you a little bit, Rick, and, and share some of your achievements. Uh, most of our listeners probably are not aware of the fact that at one point in your life, you completed a Spartan Ultra Beast. Mm. And, and talk about having to keep going in the face of difficulty. Uh, this is a race that was 30 miles in length. So just, just try to comprehend that for a second. Longer than a marathon. Um, and then there were how many obstacles, Rick, over the course of the 30 miles? So it was, I think they said 65 to 70, somewhere in that range. Okay, so 65 to 70 obstacles. These are things like carrying a 75-pound gravel bucket for a quarter mile. These mm -hmm. are things like crawling under barbed wire. Um, I mean, it was climbing up a rope. Uh, I mean, it's exhausting stuff mm -hmm. and, and not for the faint of heart. So, so Rick, tell us, how did you keep going on a race like that, what kept you going hmm. to to um, give you the ability to finish a Spartan Ultra Beast? Well, I don't know if it's such a compliment, but thank you for uh, pointing it out. I I think it also could be a result of some mental illness uh, that you <laughs> choose to torture yourself in such ways. And and I'm joking, but I'm not because. That also came at a period in my life where I was going through a divorce, and so I was really hurting, and I was looking for something to provide meaning. I was looking to do something to challenge myself, to take up my time. Um, anybody who's been through the trauma of divorce or maybe even just the trauma of losing someone or losing a, a job that you loved for years or something, when you get in those moments... Um, you need something to, to give you purpose and to give you meaning and to get your mind off, you know, your own problems. And so, as I told people during that time, trail running was my therapy and it really was therapeutic. And, you know, that's not specifically part of our talk today, but just taking care of myself, getting out in nature, running, uh, run, you know, it just felt therapeutic. It, it did for me physically, the physical affected the emotional. And so that's where I started developing this interest to say, I really want to challenge myself. I want to do, I want a goal. I need a goal. And Brene Brown in her book here on, or her chapter on resiliency, she says that there are three components uh, to hope that are important and hope being foundational to resiliency. And she says, we have to have the ability to set realistic goals. And so challenging ourselves with a goal. And then she says, number three, we have to believe that we could do this. <laughs> mm. And so that mm. actually, I didn't know any of this when I'm doing, you know, my Spartan races, but that became therapeutic because while a part of my life is completely out of control and I'm completely beaten down, and I'm completely hurting in this one area, I found another area where I could set goals that I could accomplish, that I could control. 
and that could rebuild my self-esteem and rebuild my purpose and rebuild meaning. So, so let me ask you real quick, Rick, um, when you were going into this Spartan Ultra Beast, did you believe you could finish the race? Well, with the Ultra Beast, I, yeah, I had the belief that I could potentially finish. I didn't know if I would because I'd never done something like that. And I think that's a real metaphor for life. Some things hit us and we think, oh my goodness, I never imagined this would ever happen to me. Hmm. You know, we, Will, we had a good friend this morning. We got an email that his wife's got leukemia. And hmm. immediately you think, and, and I think he used the word shocking in his email. Yeah. Like we never yeah. know what's, got, what's around the corner and not to make people worry. Uh, <laughs> but when that shocking moment happens, then that's the moment that we have to say, okay, I don't know if I can make it through, but I think I can. You know, I, I've never been through this. And that was my feeling with the Spartan race. I've never been through it, so I don't know for sure. So, so how, did you, how did you mentally approach it once the race started? Like, did you, yeah. what, what helped you stay mentally strong? Because ultimately you did finish, even though you didn't know for sure that you could or that you would. Right. Um, what kept you going in the race? So that's the thing I loved about these Spartan races and the obstacle course uh, race venues is that they do challenge you and they are mental just as much as they are physical. And it's a great metaphor for life because when you're in the race, you don't know what obstacle is coming next. You don't know what they'll make you do. You don't know what the course is like before you get there. I mean, you might know a little if you research it, but not much. And then they, they use the geography against you. So my course was on a mountain, a ski slope, and they ran us straight up the mountain for like the first mile and a half. And it was so steep that you could almost just touch the mountain in front of you with your hands while your feet are on the, <laughs> while you're standing upright. I mean, it was just that steep and that challenging. And so it's a good metaphor for life because you just have to take what comes and you have to have that attitude of no matter what comes, I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to keep on trucking. And if it's this obstacle, are there times when I need to rest? Yes. Are there times when I need help? That's another big lesson from mm. her chapter, as well mm. as from a Spartan race. A lot of the Spartan races, people help each other with the obstacles. And you talk to each other along the way. You encourage each other along the way. And in her chapter on resiliency, she was quick to point out that people who are resilient build support systems. They reach out to others when they're struggling. They ask for help. They go to counseling. They, they try to find resources. And so there's a lot of that happening in a Spartan race. In fact, you have to bring your resources and you have to have, you know, the Gatorade and the energy bars and the, all this stuff to, to make sure you have what you need or at least give you your best chance at uh, surviving mm, <laughs> these obstacles. Mm, mm. Yeah, and it, it, it's, I think it's very profound, too, just taking it one obstacle at a time, you know, and, and in life, because it, in life, we're, we're, we're running a much longer race than, than, the, than the one day ultra beast. Um, so in life, it's one day at a time. Sometimes it's one moment at a time. And if we can say, you know, for this moment or for this day or for this next hour, I need to do X and I'm just going to do it. 
Yeah. Because that's the next step for me. Um, I've found by, by, by breaking things, breaking something huge up into smaller pieces, mm. that's how we can keep from being overwhelmed. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't have to be perfect when tough times come. Sometimes just the best thing that you can do is just say, I just got to make it through today. I mean, there's some days that just knock us on our backs and we're not going to be thriving that day. We're not going to be saving others that day. That's just a day where we got to get through, but get through to the next day. And then think about where can I get some help? Where can I talk to someone? How can I find some resources? Because I think the greatest discouragement and the reason some people don't have resilience is they come to believe that lie will, that this will never end. Mm. And maybe mm. somebody listening right now is going through something and they think, I don't know, I, I can't make it through this. It's too hard. It'll never end. Uh, or maybe you just feel like it's been going on forever. Well, today is the day you got to change that mindset and maybe you can't change it, you know, a hundred percent, but maybe you can just make that choice. Okay. Maybe things can be different. Maybe things will be different. I have to get through this moment. Just take it one thing at a time. What could I do? Where is a little goal that I could set for myself? Yes, yes. And maybe use a friend to help you be accountable. I, I, I think you remember, Will, during that same time in my life, I would call you because I was going through the divorce. And one of the things that came out of those conversations is you realized I did a lot better when I made a schedule <laughs> just something simple. Mm. As a pastor, mm. you have a lot of independence in how you make your schedule. And uh, you said to me, Rick, I think you do better if you just kind of make a schedule for what you're doing like every hour of the day. And then you don't have these large gaps where you're just sitting there depressed and just missing mm. your family and, and going through all the, just thinking all the negative thoughts that are coming up during this tough time. So, Will, uh, thinking about your own life, what, what have you learned from your experiences about resilience and where have you seen it uh, come into play? It's a great question. Uh, one of the, the points that Brene Brown makes in this chapter is the most common denominator between all of the people that she studied and researched on this topic of resilience was spirituality. The people that were most resilient had a, a, a healthy spiritual life, a belief that there was something bigger than themselves that they were, they were connected to. And, and so for many, that's a, a relationship with God. For others, it's, it's connection with other people um, that, that kind of fueled their spirituality. And, and I found that to be absolutely true from my own experience. I remember when I was in college, um, one of the most painful times in my college experience was a trip that I took. I'd, I'd been going to college in Tennessee. I decided to, to work at a summer camp out in California. And on that trip, I drove from Tennessee to California with my best friend and my girlfriend at the time. And, and then there were two other friends. So there were five of us on this trip and somewhere around Southern California, I was working at camp in Northern California. I ended up breaking up with my girlfriend and it was kind of, I didn't want to, but 
we were about to go into a long distance period and she wasn't comfortable with that. And in my insecurity, I think I broke up with her right about like two seconds before she was about to break up with me. <laughs> Always a smart move. So that's uh, that was a classy move on my part. Um, and, and then, so I get to the, then there's a couple days left on the trip. It's super awkward. And, and then I get to the camp and I find out, and I kind of have this suspicion while we're on the drive, but I find out later that my best friend ends up getting together with my now ex-girlfriend hmm. on the trip. <laughs> uh, just a day after we broke up. <laughs> and, and so here I am at this camp. And it's I get there two weeks early before camp actually started. So I'm, I'm kind of by myself. I'm doing manual labor outdoors, fortunately in nature, which was was very healing for me. But I'm, I've got these two weeks and I'm I'm devastated. I'm depressed. Uh, I've lost my girlfriend, who was a huge emotional support for me at that point. I've lost my best friend and I don't trust either of them. And I'm jaded and bitter and and right at the moment where i should have been completely overwhelmed and just thrown in the towel i have this voice in my head and i, I credit this to to god to be my my relationship with god this voice says you're going to get through this hmm. and you're going to come out the other side stronger better healthier and happier and, and I, I believe that 100%. I was absolutely convinced that as painful as that moment in my life was, that my life was going to get better moving forward. Hmm. And, and all I can explain is that, that God gave me that, that yeah. conviction of hope. And so my spirituality was a huge gift hmm. to me in that moment when I needed it most. And you pointed to something that uh, Brene mentioned in her chapter, which is self-talk. Mm. And she discovered that people who are resilient, they have different self-talk <laughs> from those. And you can already imagine, I'm sure, the differences. And for those that aren't resilient, the self-talk is, you're not going to make it. You're, it's hopeless. Yes. You screwed it all up. You're a big dummy. You're a big failure. Nobody likes you. Nobody's there for you. I mean, we could go on and on. All the and we all have these voices. So I, I'm not trying to, you know, say we're all in one or two camps. I think we struggle. But getting to that point, and you, for your story, it was your spirituality that brought you through. And you hear this voice from God. You hear this encouraging voice. And I want to just suggest to anyone listening, what is your self-talk saying to you? What is your self-talk saying to you when you go through hard times? Pay attention to it, because I think sometimes we just accept the voice as truth, and we don't even question it. Yes. And I think that's when it goes really bad. And we don't realize we have a choice to change that voice. We have a choice to say to ourselves, nope, this is only temporary. Nope, don't freak out. Or... And that's, again, the power of involving others. If you have a good friend who's not going through the same thing because they're able to see outside of your perspective and say, you know what, I know it's really tough, 
but you'll get through this. It's not forever. Um, you can heal, you can mend, you can whatever. It's really helpful to talk to someone who's outside of your own little situation because they can then have that kind of hope. They can look at it from an outside perspective and just see that like anything in this life, it is temporary. I think that's such a crucial piece of, of resilience is what you're saying right now. That, And we talked about that in our last episode on self-compassion, yeah. that if we get aware of this voice and, and, and there's the negative voices in our heads that are beating us down, and then there are the positive voices that are lifting us up. And, and at some point in the future, we're going to dive into how God's voice fits into all of that. Uh, and and that's uh, that's Rick's specialty. He did his doctorate on and um, discerning God's voice and how we do that. Mm -hmm. But uh, the short answer, from what I understand from your research, Rick, is that uh, the positive voice is God's, and, and yeah. the negative voice is our own brokenness. Sure, sure. Uh, is one way to look at. It. I know I'm oversimplifying, so forgive me for that, because you. You wrote 200 pages on this topic, and I just <laughs> tried to summarize in one sentence. <laughs> well, you also have to write 200 pages for your <laughs> thesis, so it probably could have been less. <laughs> but I tell you, exactly, the self-talk, the voices that you listen to are so crucial. So I just want to encourage anyone uh, listening today to, to pay attention to those inner voices during these tough times. A story from my own past that kind of relates to your experience will... Uh, at the same time uh, where I'm going through this divorce and I'm struggling with all these feelings of failure and shame and loneliness and brokenness and just loss, you know, just tremendous loss. I remember one Friday evening just sitting by myself at my table because I'm living by myself at this point and nobody's around and I'm just feeling like, what's the point? You know, I'm all alone it's not worth it. The pain is so great. It's overwhelming. I had never, you know, felt so overwhelmed and so distraught as I did at that moment. And I was so distraught that without even thinking, I put my head on my, on the table, you know, on my arm on the table. And I must have looked just absolutely pathetic. <laughs> and mm. I would have been a great poster for uh, someone who looks absolutely down and out because I was. And, and I didn't, I couldn't, I wasn't even, you know, aware of my surroundings. I was just there. My head felt heavy. It was dark. I was depressed. And as I was uh, kind of sitting, lying, whatever I was doing there in that moment, I thought to myself, wow, is this the end? You know, is this, it all came down and I just didn't survive. I didn't make it. And then there was just enough spark inside of me to say, no no, no, this is not going to be the end. The devil may think he's got me down. You know, whoever the devil is, you know, just this, this idea of you may think you can take me out, but I'm not going to do it. And you know what came to my mind was the first thing that came to mind is I need to do something, just one thing tonight for someone else. Hmm. Because if I do one thing for someone else, then maybe my life matters. Hmm. Maybe I hmm. have just a little value and whoever is trying to destroy me and 
I don't know that anyone was, but if you believe in the devil, then maybe you could say the devil was trying to destroy me, whatever you want to, however you want to think of that. It felt, it felt like a battle at that moment. Like something inside of me, inside of me said, I have to rise up and fight or I'm done. It's either, either them or me. Mm. And what came to my mind was I just need to do one thing tonight for someone else so that I know my life matters. So I'm making a difference. So I'm, I'm helping. I'm, there's something good coming out of me because it, it's not been good lately. And what occurred to me was not too long before that, I had heard a friend of ours make a presentation about how she had started an orphanage in Uganda and just the great need that the kids had there, homeless kids trying to find food, you know, and shelter and all on their own. And, you know, I guess because I was all on my own and that really caught my attention and my sympathy. And it popped into my head because after I heard the presentation, I vowed to sponsor a kid, but I'd just never gone on her website to do it. Hmm. And so I, I went downstairs, got my laptop, brought it back to that table, found her website, and I signed up that night to sponsor a child in Uganda who, quite frankly, had it way worse than I did in my, in my first world problems here with all the food and all the comforts that I had, but still feeling like my life was pointless. And that night I sponsored a child and I have been sponsoring a child ever since. That was years ago. And I'm still proud of that moment. It's a moment... It was a changing moment. It was a pivotal moment. So I just challenge anyone, if you're in one of those times, think about what's something I can do. Yes. Yes. And I, I think what's so profound about your story there, Rick, is that um, it's taking that first step. You know, we, we get in that feeling of overwhelmness. It feels like paralysis. Yeah. It feels like nothing matters. It feels like my life is pointless and meaningless. That you're and, powerless. And, and there's nothing I can do. And then I, 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 I've gotten to the point now where when I even start to feel that feeling, I just tell myself, you know, this feels really lousy right now. But in five minutes, I might feel really different. This isn't <laughs> forever. This is just for now. And, and maybe I need to do something a little more active. And, and so sometimes just taking a step to, to go do some dishes in the kitchen or clean up my, my room a little bit or uh, go do some exercise. You know, sometimes just a simple action yeah. can make all the difference. And I love how you said, you know, I need to do something for someone else. You yeah. know, so looking for ways to serve someone else gives that sense of meaning and purpose and value. And, and I, I think we need to look at, at one final thing before we, we wrap this chapter up, Rick, and that is that when we feel powerless, the human temptation is always to go to numbing. Mm, yes. We want to escape the pain yeah. of our current situation, and so we look for some avenue by which to escape reality to numb our pain. And, and, and you all know the list, but I'm going to just rattle off a, a number of things and, and you know what it is for you, but it could be alcohol, it could be drugs, it could be pornography, it could be uh, binge watching something on Netflix, it could be obsessively um, scrolling through the news or social media. 
It could be getting lost in a good novel. And it could be eating too much of your favorite food. And, and, and some of our ways of numbing Brene found aren't all bad. Like even the wholehearted, healthy people that she studied would occasionally um, engage in numbing practices. She said the difference between those who were healthy and those who were unhealthy in their numbing practices was the healthy knew the danger of it. Mm-hmm. And they were always placing limits on the mm-hmm. numbing practices that they had so that those practices did not turn into full-blown addiction. And, and here's, here's to me, Rick, the most enlightening part of her research. She found that we cannot selectively numb. Yeah. We, when we numb the pain, we numb the joy. When we numb the bad, we numb the good. Wow. And that turns into a vicious cycle. I think that is absolutely um, just an amazing thing to be aware of because I don't think that's intuitive. I don't think we naturally would notice that. And so that's, I think, an excellent best thought (laughs) to get out of our podcast today, that when you go to numb those negative and you run from the negative and the, the uncomfortable emotions, you're also going to dial down all the good emotions. And she says this can put you in a very vicious cycle because once you kill the pain, you also kill the joy. And when you don't have any joy, you don't have anything to draw on when the pain comes. And then you experience the pain more fully, so you have to numb it more. And next thing you know, you're in this compulsive, addictive cycle of trying to get away and escape the pain, and there's no joy left. And you look at addiction, that is the kind of end game any kind of addiction puts you in that joyless, powerless, angry. I mean, it just ruins your life. And it, it's, you know, I heard someone say, and I can't verify this, but it just rings true to me, that we are the most addictive culture in history. Mm. And, and I think part of that is there's this lie that's out there that we're all affected by because it's, it's all throughout every piece of advertising that ever hits your brain and and... They tell us that we're hit by 3,000 advertising messages a day. That, that's just crazy, the, yeah. the volume of that. And, and we, we should not kid ourselves and say that we're not affected by it. And that advertising basically tells us that we should be happy all the time and that something's wrong with us that if we're unhappy. Mm. And, and so we need to face that lie for what it is and embrace the fact that life itself is difficult and that mm. if we want to feel the best feelings of life, the joy of life, the happiness of life, the fulfillment of life, we have to be willing to, to feel the negative feelings as well. Uh, because when we try to numb those negative feelings, we're taking out all the positive with them. You know, you reminded me of the famous quote by Carl Jung, uh, the famous psychologist, And he said, neurosis is always a substitute for legitimate suffering. Mm. And we don't realize how dangerous it is to our mental well-being if we run from our problems, if we run from difficult situations, if we try to numb, if we try to escape. Let me give you one more weird example. When I began to learn some of these ideas, 
One of the things that I noticed was happening to me was I would wake up at like five o'clock in the morning before my alarm was going to go off, say at seven. And my mind would race towards the things that were painful for me, anxious for me, uh, things that I had basically trying to been avoiding all day long uh, came to my consciousness when I was in the sleep state. And then, you know, it could, it could wake me up and, and I would toss and turn. And, and I finally said, you know what? I'm not going to run from this anymore. I'm just going to face it. And so I, I leaned into the pain instead of trying to run away from it. Mm. And, and then it went away. And, and so it's like, it's very counterintuitive because we don't like the discomforting feelings. So we want to run away. We want to avoid it, but leaning into it can be the very thing that gets you through it. I wouldn't even say the word you said, uh, it can be the thing. I don't think it can be. I think it is the thing. I don't think there is any other thing. Mm. There's only one way and it's through. There's no around. There's no going back. There's no going sideways. You just have to go through it, whatever you're facing and whatever emotions are coming. And I know for any of us, there's times when emotions can be overwhelming and I get that. Uh, and that's where we need support and help and reach out and whatever. Yes. But we also have to choose, take, make those choices. And the choice is to go through it. It's, it's like a tunnel, uh, painful emotions and experiences. I look at it as a tunnel, it's dark in the tunnel, but you're getting through the mountain. And it's a, it's actually, if you go through it, you get through the mountain faster. <laughs> I mean, if you think of that metaphor, yeah, you could go try to climb all the way over the mountain and all the way around, or you could just take a tunnel straight through and yeah, it's dark and cold and, and tough in the middle. But when you get out, you're on the other side and the other side is better. And the other side is brighter and the other side is more glorious or whatever. Um, so for me, when I face those hard times, I try to put those metaphors in front of me and say, okay, well, I got to get through this. Well, and that that's really leads us into to where we're headed for, for next week, because as we're willing to, to lean in to emotions that might make us uncomfortable in certain ways, we can learn how to cultivate gratitude and joy. Yes. And let go of scarcity and fear of the dark. Mm. And, and so this is the next principle that we're going to be unpacking in, in our next episode. And uh, I don't know about you, Rick, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one. And that doesn't surprise me to hear you say that, Will. <laughs> he did his thesis on gratitude. So that is his wheelhouse and wrote a book recently, Everything is Better Than You Think. How's that for a radical title? And uh, when I first thought that title, I said, Will, there's that's like a horrible title because you're just insulting people who are going through a lot of hard things. How can you tell them <laughs> everything's better than you think? Until I read his book and uh, he's right. Everything is better than you think. So look up uh, Everything is Better Than You Think by Will Johns. It's a great read for how to develop a practice of gratitude. And that would be a great uh, book to get and it would prepare you for our next next episode, which I'm really looking forward to, too. You know, speaking of gratitude, Rick, thank you, those of you who have, who have reached out to us to, to provide us a little encouragement as, as yeah. uh, we 
learn how to do this podcast thing. Uh, we're, we're not experts by any means, but we're having fun learning the process. And, um, you know, if, you, if you're looking for maybe one simple way to reach out to another person, um, maybe just share the podcast. If it's done something good for you, you could share that with them and then talk about it with them. Uh, that, that might be an, a nice way to, you know, to give back to somebody else. Yeah, and we appreciate your comments. If you want to leave us a review, you want to rate us, that makes us happy too. Will, I've really enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much to everyone uh, who's listened and to all those who are out there supporting us and encouraging us, and we hope that we're doing the same for you. Have a great day. You've been listening to Best Thoughts with Dr. Will Johns and Dr. Rick Johns. Thank you for tuning in. We look forward to talking with you in our next episode.